This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show, the Tuesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff that's going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. I await your phone call, 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. 340-9585 for our primary number. Let's go to an early caller, Jimmy, on line one. Jimmy, thanks for calling. It was good to see you on Sunday. You're on the air. Well, it's good to see you, too, Calgrim. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, I want to ask a question. Uh, uh, this friend of mine called me, and I don't know too much about this organization but they're called the masons or Freemasons, and 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 he said he's thinking of joining them and i said well i don't think it's a good thing for you to join them but um i just uh, i know that george washington was one uh of course in history, but what mm-hmm. do you know about that uh, what is that yeah, Jimmy, I used to know a lot about it. I haven't talked about or thought about the Masons in a long time. But it is certainly not compatible with Christianity. Uh, there are a lot of Christians who are also Masons. Uh, they shouldn't be, but they are, and that doesn't disqualify them from from being saved. But the, 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 uh, the oath you make to the Masons, the secrets that you pledge to keep, those kind of things are certainly incompatible with the tenets of Christianity. One of the reasons that people are attracted to it is they are are, uh, functioning service organizations. They do a lot of good things. Uh, Often they are made up of fairly successful businessmen who who are really trying to do better, Um, but their allegiance, uh, if if they ascribe to the Masons' mottos, uh, the creeds, then um, the Masons come first. And... um, that puts Jesus in a secondary position. So uh, it's not a good thing. It's it's the wrong focus. And um, there's a lot of material out there. If you would uh, Google Christianity versus um, Freemasonry or Masonry, um, you get lots and lots of solid information out there. And most of the time, Jimmy, Masons don't um, um, disagree that this is I've pledged to support the Masons. I've pledged to be loyal to the Masons. Um, but a lot of times, until they get in deep, 32nd degree or beyond, um, they don't really know what they're getting into. But with each step up in the organization, they have to swear to keep secrets. And, of course, that's um, not consistent with nor compatible with Christianity. So pray for your friend. Um, give him the information, but it's got to be up to him to read it. Uh, but it is a pretty popular service organization, and unfortunately there are a lot of Christians, and even um, the Masons are backed by some Christian mainline denominations, old denominations. And you're right, our, our many of our founding fathers were Masons, uh, which is a little bit scary, 
but um, um, it's they don't do bad stuff. It's just that you can't serve two masters, and the Masons typically have. Thank you, Jimmy. I appreciate the call very, very much. Here is a question that we had yesterday, and I only had a minute, so I didn't do it well. This was from Vicky, so I want to finish this one. It said, um, Pastor Ron, you said you were going to comment on the Chosen series. Have you seen it yet? Uh, Vicky, when, when I think it was you that called or somebody else that called and, and said that it was now available on YouTube, so I could see it for free. So I did watch, uh, and I enjoyed it. I really did. Now, some of the, the problems with it that other people have reported are things like, well, they're misrepresenting um, the apostles or they're misrepresenting uh, Mary Magdalene or those kind of things. But, but remember, this is a video series. Um, they're using a lot of, of um, uh, poetic license, uh, creative license to interpret things. I can tell you one thing for sure, that when they portray Matthew, the tax collector who became an apostle, um, they, for instance, portray him as being on the Asperger's um, syndrome. And, and of course, that wasn't the case. Um, they thought it added drama, and, and uh, I don't think it damaged the series. It's not uh, pretending to be inspired biblically, um, or at least in the same fashion the Bible is. So they're just telling a story. And, and from what I saw in the first eight episodes, um, I think they're all about less than 30 minutes long. Um, from what I saw, they didn't take away from the story at all. I love the portrayal of Jesus um, in the in the, the story. Uh, I loved the way they sort of dramatized all of the things that were happening around Jesus throughout the ministry. So I, I recommend it, um, but you just have to understand you're not watching Bible. That's the problem. Now, I'm the worst one, Vicky, to say that because um, poor Paula, when I we're watching something, I'll, I'll say it didn't happen then or it didn't happen like that. And drives her crazy. We can't watch the the uh, uh, series that you see on Easter, the greatest story ever told, and some of the others, because they say, "Well, they got this mixed up and that mixed up." And and you know, I like the Bible, but uh, I, I will watch if it comes out free. I will watch um, the second season of the Chosen series, which, if I understand correctly, is being uh, filmed right now or it's in production right now. So, Vicki, yes, feel free to watch it, enjoy it, but just remember you're seeing a portrayal, uh, sort of like a movie that says based on a true story or loosely based on a true story. I think this is based pretty strongly on a true story, but the characterizations and some of the incidents uh, are are being presented with a a specific bent um, to them. we you know we do a Christmas uh, special. We're not going to be able to do it this year, evidently. Um, Christmas play. Our our youth does it, and we have kids from really small all the way up through high school. And um, our Christmas stories have been uh, written by people here in the church, and and basically they do the same thing that that uh, um, the the directors and producers of the Chosen did. Uh, we just sort of add our little slant to it. But remember, we're not representing it as Bible. So, Vicki, I hope that helps, and I hope you enjoy the series. I would be interested in your re- reply. After you've seen them, um, give me a call or send in a, another question, and we'll, we'll uh, be interested in your take on it as well. Matthew says, If the devil knows the outcome of things... Why does he even bother trying to overcome God? You know, Matthew, I have a saying here at the church uh, that, that my church knows really, really well. Sin is insane. There's no rhyme nor reason to why we who are sinners do the things that we do. The devil, we know he knows Scripture. He knows it well enough to misquote it. He tried that with Jesus himself. Now, he knew that temptation in the wilderness was going to be a, a fruitless exercise, but he did it anyway. We know that when the full forces of hell came against Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the enemy, the devil, thought that he would make Jesus quit. Now, he thought, but he knew. 
Now, I know that doesn't make sense, but I think that's the way we have to approach this question. Um, the devil is insane. Sin has driven him insane. And as brilliant as he is and as powerful as he is, uh, he still has hopes, even today, that that he's going to overcome. Paul writes that, that um, he's angry because he knows his time is short. And yet he's doing everything he can to stretch out that time. And I guess he's trying to take as many uh, people to hell. He hates mankind, that's for sure. We are made in the image of God. We were, according to Ephesians chapter 2, the most beautiful thing, the most magnificent work God ever ever created. We are his creative expression of genius, of beauty, of poetry. And the devil hated that. And he has been on a rampage to destroy men ever since. He's come to close a couple of times. Well, he knows he's going to lose. He certainly knows the Bible. He knows how it turns out. But he keeps on trying and he's not going to stop. He is relentless. You know, persevering is a, a godly characteristic. Well, he perseveres, not in a godly way, but, but he is never going to give up until the end. And when he goes... He is going to go, believe me, kicking and screaming. So uh, that's the answer, Matthew. Um, it's fruitless, but he is not about to give up. And I think he's enjoying every minute that he is described in the New Testament as the little God, the little G-God of this world. I think he's enjoying every moment of that. So I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from our email inbox from Stephanie. Uh, this is a question about people speaking for God. Is it the same when you're sharing with someone and as you're speaking, the other person interrupts you and says to you, as you're speaking to me, God is telling me this to tell you, or suddenly they came to have a vision in that very instant. I'm always confused about that. Stephanie, most of the time, and I'm going to speak generally first and then I'll get a little more specific. Most of the time when people uh, interrupt you, um, and and claim that God is telling um, them to tell you something, or uh, they claim to have the vision that very instant. I, I call that phony spirituality. It's sort of goosebump Christianity. I, I've I've had some people in my life that would do that. Uh, I used to have a, a man here at the church who would, uh, in the middle of messages, for instance, I'm teaching the Bible. He'd raise his hand and say, "Brother, the Lord just told me to pray for you." Those kind of things. And it's just weird. It's just weird. And usually when the people like that approach you and they have something to tell you, um, they're, they're, they're so lacking grounding in the Word that they don't know. For instance, to interrupt the teaching of the Word written by the Spirit of God um, is, is certainly something God would never do. He wouldn't interrupt himself. So most of the time, these are charismatics Again, I'm a charismatic, so don't. I'm not knocking charismatics, but these are, are out of balance charismatics. Um, be very careful, Stephanie, when somebody is um, saying to you that God told me to tell you something. Be very, very careful. Um, it is possible that God would give somebody a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. Uh, Stephanie, often when I am preaching. Um, the Lord will give me a word of knowledge that's not necessarily connected to my Bible study, um, but, but God wants me to use it in the invitation, or God, sometimes he's had me stop right there and say, you know, I believe the Lord is speaking to several of you right now, or to, to some of you right now, and he wants you to hear this, and it's, it's a little more tightly connected when I do that to the Bible study or to the application of that study, but that's just a word of knowledge. That doesn't make me a prophet or anything else. And there are times when people will, will give you a word of knowledge. Now, if here's how you can tell the difference. If they tell you something that we would consider a little ominous, or if it's correction, the only way that God would do that, the only way is if he'd been trying to speak to your heart about it and you've been ignoring him. And that way, when this person says something, your first thought will be, how could they know that? How could they know God's been trying to say that to me? Well, God loves you so much that when you ignore him, he'll make it more difficult for you to ignore him in the future. 
And so he'll send somebody. But that's the only way. Beyond that, the gift of prophecy, again, that does not make one a prophet, but the gift of prophecy as it functions in the New Testament is always for the encouragement or for the edifying, the strengthening of the body of Christ. So um, if, if somebody says to you, they have a word of knowledge, God says, um, uh, you know, I know you're struggling with feeling condemned. This is just one example. I know you're struggling with feeling condemned, but God wants you to know that he's proud of you, that he loves you. I told a lady in our church oh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, God just impressed on my heart so strongly to tell her that, that, that God's proud of her. And I said to her, I'm proud of you too. And I could tell the minute I said it how much she needed it. Well, those are legitimate gifts operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, those who suddenly claim to have a vision in that very instant, um, I, I wouldn't trust that at all. So, Stephanie, just remember, God knows how to get a hold of you. If you're in his word regularly, you can't miss out on anything that he has for you or anything that he wants to tell you. He'll speak to you clearly, I promise. So be very skeptical about this. I used to have a guy in my life, and this was when I was a brand new believer. And he was very instrumental in my, my early walk with the Lord. And I thought he was just, you know, the the Apostle Paul reborn. And, um, um, you know, I listened to him. And when I would be talking to him, we'd be talking about something in the Bible, the question. Uh, I was so curious, had all these questions. And I'd be sharing something, and he just put his hand up. And I said, what? He goes, be quiet. And he'd look up, put his eyes kind of to the ceiling. And he'd just take a few minutes, still with his hand up and his eyes up. And then he'd put it down, and he would say, okay, you, you, you can continue now. I said, wait a minute, what are you doing? And he was, he was, oh, God was telling me something right at that moment. And I used to think, I really want that. Why doesn't God speak to me that way? Um, um, you know, the truth was, Stephanie, that God didn't speak to him that way either. So I hope that kind of straightens things out for you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a COVID question from Brian. Um is COVID prophesied about in the Bible for the end times? Um, Brian, if you go to the, the Olivet Discourse, um, Matthew 24 and 25, um, Mark chapter 13, and Luke chapter 21, um, pestilences are, are um, signs of the end time, the, the beginning of birth pains, Jesus describes it. Now remember, he's talking to Israel about the Great Tribulation. But here's what he's saying to them. As we get to the end, um, these are the signs, and these are just the beginning of birth pains. Now, we've had a lot of babies here at Calvary Chapel, and we've had ladies who would start the birth pains and um, have a baby in minutes. But more often, Brian, what we had is the, the, the labor begins and the pushing and the screaming and all that starts, and it goes on and on and on and on and on and on, sometimes for hours, uh, sometimes for 24 hours or more. Well, Jesus is using that picture to say, when you see these things happening, earthquakes, famines, pestilences, uh, wars and rumors of wars, people groups against people groups, uh, which really accurately describes the type of warfare we have now rather than World War I or World War II. Um, so he says, when you see these things happening, look up. Uh, this, these are the beginning of birth pains. So uh, in that sense, yes, it's prophesied about. Now, to, to a little different slant on this, Brian, um, you know, we, we see things like earthquakes and hurricanes, and this has been a, an exceptionally active hurricane season. Um, we see wanton destruction, and we wonder, well, well, did God cause this? Is God trying to get our attention? Um, God doesn't cause these things. These are natural phenomena in a fallen world. But I do believe, and this is how I usually pray when these kind of things happen, I pray that God would just, by the power of his Spirit, 
sort of reach out to his people, reach out to those even who aren't his people, get them to start asking questions. Why is all this happening? Why is it happening now? And COVID, and I've said this, Brian, several times on this show, um, COVID is the only time that I'm aware of in the history of the world, the only time where the entire world is focused on the same issue. And I believe with all of my heart that this isn't caused by God. We know it was manufactured in a Chinese lab. But God is using it. He's using it to do two things. First and foremost, uh, judgment always begins at the house of God. I think God is using it to shake up to shake up and shake out his church. I really believe that when we get through this or when the um, uh, vaccines are available and, and hopefully they will be um, functional, um, I think we're going to see a much smaller and yet much stronger church all over the world. I think the people that have uh, been um, sort of drawn away from church, drawn away from their involvement, stopped using the gifts of the Spirit that God has given them, uh, I think they're going to find themselves on the outside looking in. I'm not suggesting they're not saved. I'm just suggesting very strongly that these are the people that are going to really, really miss out and they're going to really, really struggle in the end time. So, um, again, COVID isn't prophesied about in the Bible specifically, but it is one of the signs of the beginning of the end. And I think that we are there. And there's other ones, earthquakes and the other kind of things that I already mentioned. Let me also, Brian, use your question as an opportunity to ask for prayer. Um, just today or yesterday late, I don't know when it was for sure, um, uh, California Governor uh, Newsom, um, shut down 94% of the state again uh, and, and insisted no indoor meetings of any kind. And, of course, that is going to affect churches. The reason I want to bring it up here is because it gives me the opportunity to ask all of us as Christians to be praying. Uh, I've got friends uh, who, who are not going to close their churches no matter what anybody says. And some of them are, are going to be in a, in a really risky situation uh, risk arrest and other kinds of things and enormous fines. You know, the state, if it really wants to flex its muscles, can do it. And uh, while there have been churches that have been defiant to the governor's orders, um, the governor made this one sound like he was going to come after them uh, personally and individually. So please, please, please be praying for the California churches, one that they will remain resolved not to close, not to shut down. The church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. We're the light that Jesus said, you don't put it under a basket, you put it up on a lampstand so everybody in the room gets light. Well, that's who we're supposed to be. And if we shut down, as so many churches have, right here in San Antonio where churches are free, given the freedom by our governor to meet, they've chosen to, to, to close anyway. And well, I can't possibly understand how they could do it. Um, they've done it. And again, I think uh, God is going to use all of this and he's going to really shake out his church and we're going to find that, that the uh, real church of Jesus Christ isn't nearly as big or as strong as we thought it was. I've got less than two minutes, so rather than take another question, if you don't mind me just sort of venting about this for a moment, the, the most heartbreaking thing for me uh, during this, uh, what, eight months now that, that, that the world has been different, um, people that I thought were really strong in their faith, people that I believe with all of my heart to be mature Christians in this time of crisis have proven not to be. And it breaks my heart. I love them and I want God's best for them. And I just think, how could they not take what they know? I mean, they were strong and they were mature when things were going pretty well. But, but here we get this and suddenly they're, they're, they're overwhelmed with fear. And um, it just shouldn't be. It just shouldn't be. Now, because I'm misunderstood when I talk about this. 
I want to say that people who are in the high-risk group need to remain away from large groups of people. There's no problem with that at all. If they've got uh, immuno uh, issues, if, if they've got diabetes or asthma or some of the other uh, or cancer patients, of course they shouldn't be here. But everybody else ought to be. And to be afraid... When the Bible says, do not be afraid, I know hundreds of times from cover to cover, indicates that their faith isn't nearly as strong as they thought it was. Well, that brings us to the end of the first half hour of the program. We'd love your live calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. time to call into the word to stand on for life no problem if you've got questions you can email them to pastor ron at pastor ron kslr at gmail.com that's pastor ron kslr at gmail.com back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to our final 30 minutes 340-9585 here is a question from jason he asks how old is the earth jason we don't know for sure uh, I think your question is, is it millions or billions of years old? Or is it, as the Bible seems to suggest, less than 10,000 years old? And I think personally, Jason, this is a really important question for us to settle. You know, people are always saying, especially in this time of COVID, science says this and science says this. Science has never been consistent. Science has never had the right answers. So we've got to decide who we're going to believe. I believe that the earth is less than 10,000 years of age. There are some who say it is as young as 6,000. I I don't see warrant uh, for that position. Uh, We can go through the genealogies and and, uh, what references, time references are given to us throughout the Old Testament. Um, uh, There's there's gaps in there. So um, anywhere from... Six to 10,000 years old. And I believe that's so important because if we start believing that the earth is millions or billions of years old, then what we're really suggesting is that we don't believe in the beginning God. And Jason, in the beginning God, the first four words of our Bible, um, that's the challenge. We've got to believe that. We've got to believe it by faith. Now, there's a lot of evidence so it's not stupid faith or blind faith. But we've got to believe that. You know, and God said, um, uh, let there be light, and there was. He created everything from nothing. He created a universe that is exponentially, infinitely larger than science ever believed it was. The bigger the telescopes, the more information we get. Uh, I, I think God sort of laughs in heaven. We think we got it all figured out, and then we'll we, a new galaxy will be discovered. So um, I think this is something we've got to settle in our minds. And for me personally, Jason, this is one of the questions that I had to deal with when I was going through my phase as a new Christian of, well, how can I trust the Bible? You know, everybody knows the earth is millions of years old. So so how can I trust the Bible? Um, and you've got, you've got to make that decision for yourself. But this is one of those things that... Um, we have to make a concerted effort to be convinced of. And if the earth is millions of years old or billions of years old, if Adam and Eve were not literally the first two humans ever put on this earth by the hand of God themselves, the only two people ever made by the touch, the hand of God, 
um, then we can't trust our Bible for anything. I have another question later, and I, I don't think I'll get to it today, but, but just to tie it in, it's a question about uh, how are we to take Genesis chapters 1 through 11? Um, are we to take that literally, or is it an allegory? And um, the same the same answer is, is uh, for that one is yours, Jason. If it's an allegory, if we're not to take it literally, if those stories aren't literally true, then we lose every major doctrine of our Christian faith. And if we lose the doctrines of our Christian faith, then we have no faith at all. And I don't think Christians understand it. They don't understand what a big deal it is. But again, everything from Adam and Eve, God himself, Jesus Christ, as he walked on this earth, affirmed the story of creation. In the beginning, God made the male and female. Jesus said it was true. If we question that, then we're questioning his character. And of course, it's a short trip from there and saying, well, if that's not true, how do we know anything else is true? So we have nothing that we can depend on. So the, 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 the young earth, I know we're tempted to, to uh, reconcile science and what the Bible says, and we come up with gap theories and day-age theories and all those other nonsensical arguments. And people that are really, really brilliant do it but I think what they find that they end up doing is that they outsmart themselves. In the beginning, God, first four letters of our Bible, or words, rather, of our Bible, we got to believe that. So, Jason, I think six to 10,000 years of age. We don't need to be any more specific than that. It doesn't affect uh, what we believe or, or, or the, the veracity of what we believe. But in that time frame somewhere, um, but believe me, if the, if the earth is millions or billions of years of age, then we've lost our grip on everything that we know to be secure. John says it was nothing made without Jesus making it. If there was a big bang or if we evolved from lower life forms, if we listen to science, so-called science, I call it science fiction, People will say, well, 65 million years ago, dinosaurs this and dinosaurs that. Um, if we're going to believe that, then we've trashed our faith. So you've got to make your own choice, but make it wisely. Anonymous says, Pastor Ron, if God knew all the bad things that were going to happen, why did he create us in the first place? Anonymous, that's the easiest answer, maybe not the easiest to understand, but the easiest answer is he made us because he loved us. God longed for fellowship and he saved us, mankind, for sort of his exclamation point on everything. He made everything and saw it was good. But when he got to the sixth day and he made Adam, he saw that it was very good. And then he rested. Why? Because he can it's it's almost like he said, say, you know, I can't top myself. I just can't top myself. Well, that's what God did. That was his masterpiece, his sermon for the ages. And he loves us. And he loves us so much that even though we rebel and we do bad things and we cause bad things, he loves us anyway and he offers his son so that we can be with him forever and ever. Now, there's times, the Old Testament talks about God repented using King James language, that he made man. Uh, God was sorry in the NIV that he made man. That doesn't mean he, he thought, oh man, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. It's just using human language to try to describe the heart of an, uh, the broken heart of an, of an infant God. And we break God's heart all the time. One of the reasons Paul says that we're not to quench the Spirit of God is because when we do that, it breaks his heart. And he's sorry that we make bad choices. But he never removes his love from us. Never does he remove his love from us. And for his love 
to be received, there had to be a, legi- a legitimate choice. And Jesus gave me, he gave you, the freedom to make that choice. He didn't force you to love him. He says, I love you, I proved it, I died for you on the cross. But he didn't force us to love him back. And Anonymous, when, when those of us who are believers finally got to that point, imagine the heart of God here. We finally got to the point where we said, Jesus, I need you. Unlike us, he didn't say, well, it's about time. His heart melted. And because his heart melted, he received us with open arms and set our feet on a path that he's already blazed for us. So that's why he created us. He created us to do wonderful things. Think about it, Anonymous. Even unbelievers have done marvelous things, wonderful things. God says, I made him with the capacity to do good. And then he keeps reaching out so that we will be good by accepting him. So, um, the fact that he didn't change his mind is something that we all ought to marvel at all the time. So I hope that answers your question. Ben asks an important question. He said, how would you counsel someone who cannot forgive himself? Well, Ben, if you're talking about you, I don't know who you're talking about, but here's what I would say to him. I would say, imagine the problem with pride you have. If Almighty God says, I forgive you, but you refuse to forgive yourself. Is there anything more proudful, anything more arrogant than that? And I've had this exact question come up in counseling. People say, well, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. And I've asked people, who do you think you are? I mean, that's the height of arrogance. Jesus says you're the pearl of great price. You're the treasure hidden in the field. Jesus says he loves you no matter what. And he died to forgive you. And you think you're so special that your sins are so bad that he's not going to forgive you. Ben, that's just arrogance. And arrogance, of course, is just uh, another way of saying pride. And um, I would say this is a person who has very little faith And the person who has to make a decision, do I believe God or do I count on me? Let's go to line one and talk with Mike from San Antonio. Mike, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Yeah, uh, Pastor Ron, I had a question uh, regarding uh, that Adam, who lived 900 years and was created directly by God as you know, as perfect as God could create him. But sin uh, allowed death to come into the world, and and Adam eventually died. Um, I was wondering, just kind of curious, uh, Christ, who was created, you know, by God, as God incarnate in the womb, and I know that Christ, in, in having to fulfill his mission on earth to you know, to die for our sins. But if that hadn't happened, how long might Jesus have lived? Would he have lived 900 years? How- okay, Mike, let me, let me ask you a question, just so I'm, I'm sure I'm not misunderstanding. You said if that hadn't happened, if if Adam hadn't sinned, or if Jesus... No, no, if, if, if Christ hadn't gone to the cross. Okay. Well, Jesus, who was without sin, um, was going to live forever. However, um, there was never a question in the heart of the mind of God. Um, uh, Jesus arrived at just the right time. He died at just the right time. So there was never a question about whether Jesus would live forever. But in his perfection, as Adam would have lived forever had he not sinned, uh, the same thing would have been true of Jesus. But remember... I think sometimes, Mike, we forget this, that the minute Jesus was born, he started that march to the cross. I mean, that was the only purpose of his life. He didn't come here to have kids. He didn't come here to have a a wonderful marriage. He didn't come here to be successful in his trade. 
He was born with one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to die, to redeem the world. So that was his mission. And had he not died on the cross, remember he said, hey, I have 12 legions of angels. I could call them down and rescue me at any time. If Jesus would have done that, he wouldn't have died physically. But the rest of us would have died both physically and spiritually. So that was never an option. Um, um, Again, it was every minute. Uh, One of the things that I I marvel about from time to time, Mike, is the Mount of Transfiguration experience. Um, All of the gospel writers include it. And when when you think about that, um, Moses and Elijah showed up. And one of the gospel accounts tells us that their purpose in showing up was to tell Jesus all the things that were going to happen to him in Jerusalem. So when they came down off that mountain, that was going into Jesus' final week, beginning with with what we call Passion Sunday or Palm Sunday. And uh, um, um, imagine when Moses and Elijah gave him the blueprint for his final week on earth. These are all the things that are going to happen. These are the things that you're going to do. This is the Father's plan. Remember, he said, I never do anything except what I see my Father do. So he got orders directly from heaven about what he was going to encounter on that final week. And no matter how tempted he was to avoid it, Father, if there's any other way, if if this cup can pass from me, um, he remained steadfast, resolved. Isaiah chapter 50 says that he set his face as flint to go to Jerusalem. The idea is it's, it's unwavering. He's not movable. And, uh, and so there was never any question about whether he was going to die or not. Um, but in his perfect humanity, uh, he would live. Um, the problem was, had he not gone to the cross, well, then he would have been in sin willful defiance against the Father's plan. And so then, of course, he's guilty of sin, which would have meant he's not God at all. You know, you can get in that circle, Mike, and and that's one of the reasons why uh, dealing with hypothetical situations uh, really doesn't have much value other than, than confusion. But Jesus came at the right time. He died at just the right time. Thanks for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty eighty five. Uh, Reggie says, uh, "I think churches are way too focused on the end times. Why don't pastors like you just teach the Bible?" Well, Reggie, I teach the Bible um, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. So um, that's what I do. Now, there's a whole bunch about the end times as you're going through passages of Scripture. Uh, there's a whole lot of of prophecy about the Great Tribulation and the Millennial Kingdom and our role serving with Jesus in the Millennial Kingdom. So when you're teaching through the Bible, you got to talk about the end times. Now, my question for you, Reggie, if you were here, would be to ask you, well, why does that bother you? The end times means as believers, we're going to go be with Jesus. I talk to my church about that all the time. But, but we're to be focused on the end. We're to look up for redemption draws near, we're told in the, in the scriptures. So, Jesus is a wicked, lazy servant, says my master delays his coming. So the end times matter a bunch. The study of it, Reggie, is called eschatology. And it matters a great deal. You know, the last revival in our world, um, a revival that began in the, in the late 60s, um, it's called the Jesus Movement. It, 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 it actually began uh, at Calvary Chapel um, um, before Calvary Chapel was recognizable as what it is today. Uh, it was just a, a sovereign move of the Spirit. Hippies, the, the outcasts, the worst of the worst, they started getting saved. And it spread from California all over the world. And, and it, for, for 50 years... The fruit was unbelievable. That's just about the normal shelf life of a revival. But here's why I bring that up, Reggie. The, the fuel for that revival was the end times. Hal Lindsey, who I'm not a fan of. I, I think he's got all kinds of problems, character problems, personal life problems, uh, and some doctrinal issues. But, but he wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. 
And um, Christians had that paperback book in their back pockets, in their jeans, and they carried it with them everywhere. And they were sharing Jesus. Everybody, Look, he's coming back. Here's what it says. And, and it was, it was that, that looking for the return of Jesus that really propelled the gospel to be spread all over the world at that time. And I think, Reggie, that one of the reasons that we don't see a revival or haven't seen a revival since then is because we've lost sight of the soon return of Jesus. I think the teaching has shifted, and this may be where you're coming from, Reggie, but the, the teaching has shifted. Well, well I, want, I want my life to be good here. I've had people here tell me, uh, people from uh, people I love, and I know they love Jesus with all their heart. You know, Pastor Ron, when you keep saying Jesus come quickly and you want him to come, I, I used to get angry because I said, no, I want to see my kids grow up. I want to see my grandkids. I want this or I want that. And the, the, the result is that after they've grown in their relationship with the Lord, they all come to the conclusion, oh, Jesus, come quickly. And I think if we really lived like Jesus was coming today, or could come today, then we'd be out telling everybody about Jesus, which is exactly what Jesus appointed us to do. So I just teach the Bible. I do it verse by verse. But there is so much about Jesus' return that you're going to find it spread throughout the Scriptures. So Reggie, look up. Don't look out. Don't look around. Look up. The first century church, uh, all you have to do is read Paul's epistles and you understand that, that he and the others really and truly expected that Jesus would come back at any time in their lifetime. We who are left alive will be caught up in the air together with them, the, the them being those who have already died. They expected to be raptured. I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in an instant, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. Those are important things, and of course, that's where the church was born, that was where the power came from. I think we've sort of disconnected from that source of power, Reggie. So let, let me advise you, read your Bible, but look up and keep looking up because Jesus is coming. I go out every morning and look at the eastern sky, especially when the sun is out there, and I just think, that's where you're coming. Today would be good, Lord. And you know what? That motivates me to serve the Lord with even more passion because I want him to find me being obedient when he comes. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? I want him to find faith right here in San Antonio, Texas, for sure. Let me see. i got about three minutes. Um, David says, The Ten Commandments say that thou shalt not kill, but God ordered Israel to kill everyone in Canaan. How do you reconcile that inconsistency? Um, David, there's no inconsistency there at all. Um, the commandment, literally, in, in, in Hebrew, is thou shalt not murder. It's not thou shalt not kill. Um, that's the way the King James translated it, and that's unfortunate, but it's thou shalt not murder. And uh, the, uh, the seven-year campaign in Canaan that Joshua led uh, wasn't murder at all. It was, it was the judgment of God falling on people who were doing the most despicable unspeakable, inhumane things. People that had been enemies of God, enemies of God's people, Israel, but people whose lives were so perverse that I, I, I wouldn't even take the time to mention it on the air. There's lots of information about the way the Canaanites and the others lived. Um, and they didn't listen to God. And they had the opportunities to God was patient with them. He let them stay in their land for a long, long, long time. And suddenly, time ran out. And David, um, all of our time is going to run at some point. 
the people in our world who have just dismissed God altogether, people that mock us because we believe in him. A time is coming when their time is going to run out. They're going to be judged. So whenever you see God ordering destruction of pagan peoples in the Old Testament, it is judgment, just like the rapture um, will take us out of the way and then judgment's going to come on the earth in the Great Tribulation. It's God judging sin once and for all. So, David, um, that's that's the, the answer, and there's no inconsistency at all. Uh, dig a little deeper. That's why we're told to be workmen who rightly divide the Word of God. Everything God does is just and merciful, even when he's killing children or ordering that the children be killed. That's going to prevent those who are not yet accountable for their sins to spend eternity in heaven. So even in his judgment, there's always, always mercy. And I don't think we look any deeper than the surface, and we really need to do that. And everything that we read in our Bibles has to be read through the filter of the character, the nature of God, who is demonstrated once and for all, once and for all, that he so loves man that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. So David, that's the answer. Hope that makes sense to you. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Um, Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. May God richly bless you. Have a wonderful evening. Wake up tomorrow and say, Jesus, what about me and what about today? I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.